This week's Haftarah portion for Parsha Mishpatim is dedicated to Rebbe Zine Griffin, as this is her Torah portion this week. So from Shomer Man and Chasis Baz, Rebbe Zine, we send you a Mazel Tov. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Bakar Bin Ve'im Tovim, Ve'ratza Ve'divrehim Hane Emarim Be'emet. Baruch Atah Adonai, Haboker Batora Uv Moshe Avdo, Uv Yisrael Amo Uvin Vie Haemet Vazedek, Biskut Mashiach Yeshua, Amen. Well, shalom, everybody. Welcome to the Haftarah. Get you some with Shomerman and Chassis Baz. Just want to say it is Parsha Mishpatim. And man, what an incredible Parsha. So, without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Chassis to let it fly. Uh, shalom. And I'm completely agreeing with you. This incredible Parsha, you know. So many uh, wonderful, like, civil laws that Torah uh, just has out for us. And, you know, that's that's really the main reason that this Haftor connects with that. Is this Haftor does a lot with um, the slavery, the release of the, the slaves. And, you know, that's that's a great deal of laws in, in Parsha Mishpatim. Wow. And so, I mean, we mentioned, we mentioned uh, the Jewish idea of, of slavery and how it differs in the world's view. And Bizarre will we'll touch back to that and uh, hit up a few new concepts and continue with our, our half Torah. Um, but let's go and start with um, a little bit about our characters. All right. So we have Yamahu. Uh, and, you know, Jeremiah, he's he's the one, if you want to know um, what it was like to be a prophet, their experiences, their kind of um, emotional uh, dealings, if you will, their whole psychological development as they're prophesying, like he's he's the person you go to. When we talked about a lot, he's, he's in a lot of the, the half Torahs. Um, but I'd like to just kind of touch on a little things about um, him. And then his relationship also with uh, Nebuchadnezzar, mm. because it's interesting. Because this half Torah really, it's really the time period of you know here the Babylonians are coming and they're they're about to essentially like ransack the temple, and this is kind of the period where it's at. And we we mentioned a, a couple half tours ago about Jeremiah making all these prophecies against Egypt because they didn't help them, right. And this half tour is like the reverse of that. It's like going from Israel's perspective of that same scene. Hmm. So it's interesting to get get the dynamics there. And so just kind of there, there's this interesting, interesting kind of backstory relationship that Jeremiah, the king, Zedekiah, and Nebuchadnezzar have together. Okay. And so from Otsar Hamidashim says, when Jeremiah was a boy, he and Nebuchadnezzar were once strolling together. At that time, Nebuchadnezzar was not yet king. He was poor and lowly. Would that I were king over the whole world, he said. I will attack Jerusalem and burn the temple. Will you give me Jerusalem? Asked Jeremiah. Nebuchadnezzar replied, whatever you can take out of the city from noon until evening. Hmm. <laughs> so it's kind of an interesting discussion that this Midrash cites. 
And so you you kind of you know where you want to take that literal or just as as a midrash, it's kind of hints that maybe the dynamics going on in Jeremiah's mind, like he knows it's coming. You know, here Nebuchadnezzar is king now. He's like, I gotta save as many people as I can. Right. But you know, the frustration of all these people not repenting and not turning back to Hashem. You know, it's interesting that the Midrash points out noon to evening. Because that's pretty much Minka. Oh. And if you have this opportunity of Yeshua, so to speak here, salvation for the people, it's like whoever can whoever you can save during this period of time, you know, I think that's very interesting that that's pointed out as uh, a particular area uh, for that event to happen, especially with the fact of there was no repentance. And so if one would repent, they would enter into that time frame. And again, Minka is one of the most dynamic prayer times or the most actually. So anyway. My man, that is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome parallel. I like that. That's amazing. Brooke Anyone Taylor. you can say from noon to evening to this Minka time period. Wow. You know, it's also just kind of tag on, like sport tag what you're saying. That's the, the prayer that's associated with uh, Yitzhak. Oh, man. You know, the sacrificial son and, and uh, Bizrashim will touch on that towards the end of the half Torah and how that plays in. So my only question left to ask is, is this why Yeshua was specifically crucified at this time? Because he could so. he could have been crucified earlier, like, but it was just like, no, we're gonna wait till right about here. <laughs> Time when you could save people, <laughs> right? <laughs> salvation on salvation. Okay, look forward to uh, the Yitzhak drop coming up. Definitely. Our other character we have is Zedekiah. He was the last king of Yehuda. Uh, of Judea um, before the destruction of the temple and all that that took place. Mm. And he was considered a, a righteous, righteous king. Um, he was actually, he's actually mentioned in, in Sukkah 52b as one of the eight princes among men. What? Along with Jesse, Saul, Samuel, Amos, Zephaniah, himself, Elijah, and, and the Mashiach. Hmm. It's, it's into, he's, he's in the like, same with Mashiach? Yes. Oh. One of the princes, the eight princes. Mm, mm, mm. So it's it's very interesting. Then you have this idea um, that he was called, he was called Zedekiah because he accepted, so he had he had a few different names, Shalom, Zedekiah, Janan, and Jaaz. And they're all the same people. That's from Horos 11b. And it was called Zedekiah because he accepted the righteousness of divine judgment, or justice. It was called Shalom because in his days, the reign of the house of David ended, and his real name was Mataniah, mm. from Yishlami Shlichem 6.1. Okay. And it says that Hathosbuch, who wished to return the whole world to its primal state of astonishing emptiness on account of Zedekiah's generation, but he looked at Zedekiah, and the attribute of strict justice was pacified. Wow. <laughs> he, he, looked upon, he looked upon his face, and it was pacified. 
you know, mentions interestingly in the the half tour this this is kind of midrash about the this brick that uh, that is under Hashem's throne. Oh yeah. Before that was that was like one of the the babies who the Egyptians planted, like during the during the the Egyptian exile. This this woman miscarried, and the Egyptians put that baby into a brick. And the angels brought that brick before Shem, and he puts it into his throne. The sapphire brick that he he pulls, he looks at this image, and then his anger is pacified and has mercy on Israel, because he he's he now he's now associated with their suffering. Wow! And so it's interesting, interesting kind of parallel to the half and the the half toward the parsha. You know the talking about the angel that appears in this Torah portion. Um, the Targumim go into the fact that this angel identifies with the suffering of Israel. So now you have this angel doing the same thing that Hashem did with this brick. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Man. And just a side note on Zedek, Zedek Yahu, uh, literally the, the righteous Hashem is what his name would literally break down to. Or the phrase... Hashem is righteousness. So like this guy, that's his name. So there's a man named Hashem is righteousness. <laughs> that's incredible. And isn't it's Mashiach not... called Mashiach Zidkenu? Like or Hashem Zidkenu, Slika. Like Hashem, yes. our righteousness. That is that is the title of, of Mashiach, for sure. Well, all righty then. Amazing. So beautiful, beautiful parallels that we see throughout. Uh, he also has kind of an interesting, if you will, connection, relationship with Nebuchadnezzar. It says from Boskita Rabatai, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar came to exile, uh, Yochaneah had compassion for them. He, uh, came to exile. Um, his his compassion was aroused for them, and he asked, "Is there any one of the seed of Josiah whom I can appoint as your king?" Mataniah, Zedekiah, son of Josiah, was present. Nebuchadnezzar crowned him king of Jerusalem and said, "Swear to me that you will not rebel against me." Zedekiah replied, "I swear by my soul." Nebuchadnezzar. I will accept only an oath on the Torah that was given on Mount Sinai. Nebuchadnezzar brought a Torah scroll, placed it on Zedekiah's knees, and made him swear that he would not rebel. Oh. Yet before Nebuchadnezzar was back in his land, Zedekiah rebelled against him. Mm. 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 Well, it's also mentions, you know, there's other idea from Esther Rabbah that he had him swear by the corners of the inner altar. Oh. He was actually made king over the kings of Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, Zidon, from Echarabatai. And so this is this interesting, <clears throat> interesting kind of relationship of he, he kind of put him in this position. Wow. And later, you know, he's he ends up being captured. So there's there's this interesting scene also from Pesquita uh, Rabatai. It says, upon seeing the temple had been burned, Zedekiah went out to flee through a tunnel leading to Jericho, where the water duck ran. He was tired, and his sons went first. Uh, Nebuzaradan, who was a general of Nebuchadnezzar, saw him, caught him and his ten sons, and sent them to Nebuchadnezzar. 
For what reason did you rebel against me, demanded Nebuchadnezzar? And now, by what law shall I judge you? If by the law of your God you must be slain for swearing falsely in his name, Ooh. if by the laws of the kingdom you must die for rebelling against the king. Zedekiah said, Slay me first, so I not see the blood of my sons. And his son said, Slay us first, so we will not see our father's blood spilt to the ground. And so he did. He slaughtered them before Zedekiah. Then he gouged at Zedekiah's eyes, put them in the furnace, and took him into Babylon. Zedekiah cried out, Come and see all mankind. Jeremiah prophesied, You will go to Babylon, and you will die in Babylon, but your eyes will not see Babylon. I did not heed his words, and here I am at Babylon, and my eyes do not see it. Well, okay then. So, very very brutal, brutal scene. Of course, this is during the destruction of the temple. He's captured shortly after. And you see some of the, the, the horrors uh, that Nebuchadnezzar did, the Babylonian did. And just so we can have appreciation for the weight of what happened there. And just, just kind of see the dynamics of these, these, these three different people. Hmm. You know, we, we mentioned this is when they, they rebelled because Egypt gave them this false hope. You know, and they, they right. backed out. And then, you know, Babylon, Babylon came and, and ransacked the temple. And one of the reasons it gives that we're going to find out is because of them not refusing to, or from them refusing to abide by the Torah's dictates, the Torah's laws that are given on how to, how to treat a Hebrew slave that's given this Pasha. Wow. You know, and, and the cool thing about linking everything together so far is over these past few Torah portions, you know, there's been this build going on in the Haftarah series. And so if you really go back to what we're saying about the, the Egyptians and the false hopes and the, the rebellion, even though Hashem is giving the decrees, I mean, you're seeing such compassion. So I just to 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 see that it has come to such a gruesome uh, climax is just kind of like, wow, like this took a minute to get here. Yeah, I did. I was, uh, if I could just have a second, I just wanted to share a personal thing is that I had a conversation with a young man who was talking to me about Hashem being loving, you know, but yet he's killing people. And it's kind of like, well, there's got to be a reason that people are dying because Hashem is not going to just go hit man, assassin people if he really loves them right you know and it's just kind of like okay so but to go back to the example i used was in egypt the firstborns only died because they did not want to come into covenant with hashem so here zedekiah only had these things happen to him and his sons because they did not want to uphold the word of hashem and then it was, it's like, you have to fear Hashem and honor the king. And so there's obviously fine lines there, but I mean, this whole picture that we're seeing is all rooted in the fact of being rebellious towards the word of Hashem. So just wanted to share all of that because I mean, we're constantly seeing these things that are happening that seem very, very bad and they are, but why? You know, it's it's important for us to remember the why. Definitely. I agree. And then, you know, we're going to 
just kind of hit hit that topic of why 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 they go through this, and essentially you hit the synopsis there that uh, they didn't uphold the covenant. Right. They, they failed to do that. That's really what it comes down to. You want everything in simple terms, you know. You want to be good with the Shem, uphold his covenant. You know, uh, I know he understands all your struggles, everything you're going through. Uh, but do your best. Constantly strive. Be honest with yourself. Be honest where you're at. But also be be honest with your vision and looking forward to progressing and growing and in, in observance and in service and in character and even in your worldview. Amen. You know, and that's really what it what it the whole synopsis of that, of of all these half tours and all these tour portions really is just stay in covenant, grow in the covenant, and allow your relationship to Hashem with to flourish. Amen. And we mentioned before, you know, we we have a choice. We could be our slave to our own lusts and passions, or we could be a slave to Hashem. <clears throat> and this is what it all revolves around. This at least this half tour does. And so we have this really negative connotation. Just want to touch on this subject <clears throat> before going further okay. to get us in the right cultural mind frame of a slave. And this is often translated slave. I wouldn't say it's a, a bad translation, <clears throat> but I would say because of uh, a cultural lens, it, it creates this whole negative connotation. And we mentioned this before a couple of half tours ago and, uh, Rambam's Mishnah Torah, where mm-hmm. he, he defines the parameters of what it means to, uh, what slavery means in the Torah context. And so the synopsis that we talked about, it's, it's kind of like being your brother's keeper. Oh. And there's really two reasons why people became slaves. And it has nothing to do with uh, prejudice or anything like that, or, or just oppressing people. Discrimination, oppression, all that stuff has nothing to do with that. There's really two reasons, and that is someone actually stole, and they can't afford to repay the theft. And so the Beit Dean judges their case, and they sell they sell him to reimburse the victim. And so he's essentially working, uh, working to reimburse the damages he's caused. Wow. And this really wasn't that frequent. Um, very few cases in all of the history of Judaism. Okay. The second one is a little bit more common, and that's when a person was in heavy debt, and they would sell themselves to the creditor or someone else in order to raise money to pay their debts. And this is uh, most likely what our half tour deals with, because there is a whole bunch of, of poverty, poverty in this time. You know, it's, it's no longer Shlomo's day when there's just wealth abundant. This is the last king of Judea. They're really ruled over. Babylon ultimately, and so there's this extreme poverty, and so a lot of people ended up selling themselves in order to um, to make ends meet essentially. And even within that, you have the context of they treated them like brothers. They couldn't diminish them in what they had to sleep, what they had to drink, what they had to eat, and clothing. Um, they had to be equal. So it was really like you know, kind of the idea of, of of staying with parents. You know, working and staying with parents so you don't have to pay rent and food and stuff like that. Wow. So hashtag Jewish slavery is not American history slavery or any other historical slavery. (laughs) Definitely. It it does not compare 
to the wickedness done in this nation. It does not compare to the wickedness done in other nations. The wickedness that was done in Egypt, um, Babylon, and, and many other countries today that it might still that still exists or anything like that. You know, it's completely, completely different. And, you know, you just have to see a couple half tours ago where we actually went into like all those laws and rulings by Rambam. Man. <laughs> wow. Okay. And, you know, there is a, another ancient code to kind of get a culture context. This was not something that was done everywhere in the Middle East. Like the Torah's like this, this kind of freeing idea. Um, other cultures at a time, we know from archaeology and other evidence, there was something called the Hammurabi Code. It was like a near ancient each document that discussed kind of rulings and laws and how things would be handled. And you could see the contrast between it and the Torah. Hmm. And so it says that this code states, if a slave says to his master, you are not my master, if they convict him, his master shall cut off his ear. That's if he says, hey, you don't own me, you're not my master. His ear, his ear gets cut off immediately. Wow. Whereas opposed, you have Shemot 21, 5, and 6. There's this legislation that says, if a slave declares, I love my master and my wife and children, I do not wish to go free, his master shall take him before God. He shall be brought to the door of the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl. And he shall then remain his slave for life. And of course, that really goes to, you know, there's still the Yovel year, which would set him free. So even if he found he was mistaken, he would be still set free in that, that time. That's right. Can't be a slave to a man when Hashem is our master. <laughs> exactly. That's the huge concept of it. You know, you have the contrast, you know, uh, uh, the Yamarabi code, the slave's ear is cut off because the slave tried to gain freedom and contradicted his master. And yet you have the Torah saying like his ear is pierced because he chose to stay a slave. And, and by doing that, he disobeyed God's plan that all men should be free. Mm. And so it's just this idea, like, like for us, you know, what we take from that, once we learn to treat others as a, not as a means to get something or as objects of our manipulation, but rather as the ends, you know, each endowed with infinite value, then the rest of morality flows naturally. You know, so we can't see some people as just people to, to take and take and take from. You know, the Torah is all about what we can give to people. Amen. We can't, and we'll, we'll touch more on this on, I guess, Practical Tape Day so we can get into the half Torah. All right. <laughs> I, I, loved, um, I love what you mentioned about uh, Hashem being our master, because that's really what it comes down to. It says, B'nai Israel called my servants, not servants of human beings. He redeemed us from Egypt so that they should serve me, serving Hashem. Wow. You know, it's, a, it's this concept of when they refuse to let the slaves go, their, their, their Hebrew brothers go, what they're really doing is refusing to to also obey the commandment not just of redeeming slaves but also the commandment of remembering the exodus <laughs> okay because that's what that parallels it's the redemption of slavery it's, it parallels how shem redeemed us from egypt because we're supposed to be his servants good night and so it's an interesting concept because it's like honestly 
it's like someone giving you a, you a, a, this beautiful gift and you take that gift, you tear it apart and you spit it in your, and you spin their face. Pretty much. That's what's going on. If you can compare it to emotional relationship type level, um, what's going on when they refuse to redeem the captives. And it's also spurning your very own deliverance because it's like, if you don't want to let anybody else go free, it's just kind of like, don't you remember that you were in the same position that you're lording over someone else right now? Yeah, exactly. You're forgetting what it's all about. Wow. Um, that's true. You know, he, he desires and mentioned, we mentioned earlier, he desires that he wants all men to be free. And, and what is freedom? You know, there's there's um, Prekavot comments on the Torah. Do not read the word engraved, but read the word freedom Ooh. to translate in English, of course. So the Torah is freedom. Yeah. And so when he's saying, also there's an allusion to when he's saying every man should be free. I desire that every man be free. He's also alluded to I desire that every man should uh, should to grab a hold of Torah. You know, to that point, literally the opening pasuk of Mishpatim says, set this before them. And the commentary from the Kehert Humash and the footnote brings down that says, set this in their innermost being. Like literally engrave it into who we are, into the essence of who we are, which is the same word for the engraving and the freedom that's on the tablets. So our our pasuk says leaf nahem and obviously cherut and charut is the freedom in the engraving but the leaf nahem has the same connotation as cherut and charut which is what the letters are on the tablets So kind of like engraving the, the law in our hearts Yes a renewed covenant Mhm <laughs> That's incre- that's incredible <laughs> Right, so going into our half Torah, you know, we're in the tenth year of King uh, Zedekiah's reign, and the future looks completely bleak. They're at the, the hands of the Babylonians. Um, that's who ruling over them. You know, we, we mentioned the political agenda between Egypt, and they're trying to be thinking, hey, this is going to save us. And so, you know, Nicho of Egypt, the Pharaoh of Egypt, comes, and Babylon goes back because they're distracted. They got to fight Egypt. And then that was just a temporary fix. And they end up coming back and laying siege to Jerusalem. Mm. And so we have in 34.8, the beginning of half where the message that came to Yermahu from Hashem after King uh, Sedekiahu entered into covenant with the entire people in Jerusalem to grant freedom to their male and female servants in accordance with the Torah law, stating a servant is to be set free after six years. That each one should send away to freedom his Hebrew manservant and maidservant so that the, no Jew should enslave his Jewish brother in a case in which the Torah forbids it. Mm. And so they make they make this covenant to free this act of repentance. They, they free their slaves like it was ordered, mandated by Torah to do so. And this is the point where, hey, Babylon is, is going back now. They're going back to Egypt. And so they think it's Egypt saving them, but really it was their repentance. Oh, come on. And what's interesting about this is, you know, you have brother, uh, his brother, which is usually uh, would be Achiv, his brother, is actually written with this 
extra, extra, um, hey, in the name. Oh, I see. So, oh man. You see where I'm going with this? Oh, come on. So it's like you may. It's like like Hashem is saying you may not misuse a fellow Jew, for he is my brother, so to speak. Oh my. It says Hashem calls all the Jews his brothers, as it says in the Tehillim. One twenty two eight for the sake of my brothers and friends, <clears throat> and so this is this is the verse that translates like, literally his brother, and wow, his Jewish brother. It's interesting because once you add the hey in there, it has the gematria of thirty, which is the the number of silver coins that Yeshua was sold for. Oh, his brother is talking about slavery. It's talking about you should not do this. You should not enslave your brother. And what happened when he took the 30 silver coins for him? They, they took, they bounded him up like a slave to to Rome, which is literally the birth child, if you will, going through all the exiles, the birth child of Babylon. Of Babylon. Wow. And it was because they refused to, to redeem these slaves and, and let them go, let them have their freedom, that Babylon came back and and had subjugation over them. And what do you see in Yeshua's time? Says They said, we have no king but you. Mm. And we have no king but Caesar. That's right. You know, they declared, they declared, we declared at that time, I should say, our exile. Yes, we did. And and not redeeming our, our, our brother, our, our Mashiach. Man. So uh, <laughs> Hebrews 2.11 also points that out. And it says that for both the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are of the same family. That is why Yeshua is not ashamed to call them brothers. So if you look at this aspect of what's going on in our Haftar, we have free men and then we have bond servants. But yet the free people are the same status as the bond servants because remember we used to be bond servants and it's just like, we're of the same family here. <laughs> and, uh, furthermore, we're the brothers of Hashem. So, um, we probably need to listen to our big brother. Amen. And you know, it's, it's kind of sad because it's almost like, we decided to change families when it came to selling Yeshua. Oh, wow. It's <laughs> like, you know what? I'm tired of this household. I'm going to go be a Roman now. I'm going to assimilate and I'm going to just take in all this Greek culture. And it's just like, but you're in Rome. What are you talking about Greek? And it's like, well, you know, Greek <laughs> never left Rome. <laughs> That's why the Bible is commonly taught in Greek these days, even though it's a Roman exile. So it's kind of like, oh. That's, that's a good point. I love that whole idea. You know, because here you have Yosef, Mashiach ben Yosef, making a tacoon for that because we chose to switch families even though we were trying to be saved. Okay. And we were trying to be saved, you know, from, from, our, our, from our brother, from our father. And yet Yosef, who was betrayed by his brothers and fathers, said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in my family and I'm going to make I'm going to redeem them. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting, you know. It, it mentions the whole idea of, of who is Shim. They the Jews ask Hashem, "Who are you? Who are your people? And who do you associate with?" And he replies, "The poor and the downtrodden." Oh, 
and it's just so so opposite to our world so counter culture you know in in our world it's like you try to be friends hey with the rich the famous well known because trying to get a a foothold you're trying to get an Mm -hmm. end you're trying to make your way up in the world and Hashem's like no I don't don't play those games I associate with people who need me so I can help them Mm. that's really what it comes down to and and he, moreover, he says, I could change their fate overnight. And this goes in this whole idea of Hashem puts through all these tests. And, you know, maybe someone who is who's poor now will be rich later. Maybe someone who's rich now will be poor later. You know, I mentioned this whole idea of David, it cites David and, and Yosef, you know, these two uh, Mashiach figures, if you will. As David was this humble shepherd that became king. And everyone was all astonished. And he says, hey, am, am I more surprised than you are? I'm, I'm more surprised than you are. You know, it's Hashem did it. You know, and, and Yosef, who was who was sold as a slave, became literally the second in charge, viceroy of Egypt. You know, even when you go back and and Saul at his crowning, and then he he is prophesying, and they kind of make this snarky remark. It says, "Is Saul too among the prophets?" Mm. You know, like really him and. You know, the, the Madame Lowe's actually goes in the top, the, this, this commentary on that and be like, we shouldn't say things about converts and make snarky remarks. Be like, weren't they just eating unclean foods the other day? You know? And yeah. so it's just the idea of let's, let's not judge people. Let's not try to take their value away from them because Hashem's doing good in, the, in their life. Amen. When Hashem's trying to do good in someone's life, let them have that. Let appreciate that. Be happy for them. Don't try to diminish their value and enslave them to your own hatreds and your own bigotries and your own jealousies. Wow. So um, we get into this whole idea later in verse 11. But afterwards, they changed their minds and brought back their male and female servants who they had freed and they held them by force as slaves. And so it mentions they go through this. They make this agreement. Um that they would free everybody, and then they go and change their minds. And instead, we have also an extra letter. We have this extra yud, and it has this double significance. And the word for they cap they captured them. Uh, uh, they captured them. Kin. And so there's one instance that it hints that on the 10th of Tishrei, in a Yoba Yil, all servants must be set free. This is Yom Kippur. And then two... It, it could also be read a different way because of the, the extra U, and it hints that the masters actually hit them and they put them to shame, which is against Torah law. Oh, you better believe it. So, again, they're acting like the nations. If you go with that interpretation, um, they were mimicking the nations, switching families like you, like, very beautifully put. Oh, my goodness. Because, I mean, read... Mishpatim, goodness! Like, if you abuse a, a slave, you got some problems coming at you. Believe it. So yeah. to see that that's in here, it's just kind of like, okay, Hashem is like, all right, uh, I, I gave you a chance. <laughs> it's almost like this hafter comes in and be like, and if you don't, here's what happens. Here's what happened because you didn't do this. Mm, mm, mm. it goes it goes on um 
talking about Hashem saying, reminding them of the covenant at Sinai, reminding them of these these laws that you were referencing. And then in 14, it says, on the onset of seven years, after the slave began his, his service, each one would set free his Hebrew brother who was sold to you. When he has served you six years, you shall let him go for you for free. But your fathers did not listen to me and did not incline their ears. And the emphasis is that each 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 one should let his brother go. Since all Jews are brothers, one must not treat another as though he were a slave. Even if they're working for them as a servant, if you will, as a uh, evid, um, they're still not to treat them as a slave like how a nation would. Wow. And uh, this this whole idea, he, he, he reminds them of the teshuva they did and entering in the Beit HaMikdash and making a covenant. And he's like, hey, y'all did good here, but you ended up changing your names and creating Chlul uh, Shem, desecrating my name because you broke your promise. Ooh. And so it goes on and saying their punishment. So it says Hashem, since you have not listened to me to proclaim freedom for each other, I will proclaim freedom, says Hashem, to the sword, to the pestilence, and to the famine. Ooh. I will no longer withhold them from you. I'll make you an object of horror to all the kingdoms on the earth. And so it's this idea. You you think the if someone thinks the law is bondage and they think they could find freedom elsewhere, they will get that freedom. But it will be freedom to their own destruction. It will be freedom to the forces of, of evil, force of temptation, force of destruction that are going to come upon that person. Because it's Hashem doesn't keep us in a cage. It's it's like this barrier. It says, "Hey, if you go past here, it's a danger zone. It's no man's zone. You won't live. It's not meant for you." Tag whatever you have a moment. All right, go for it. Just to support what you're saying, no one is truly free outside of serving Hashem and being in Torah covenant relationship, daily sustenance with Him, like. This is the picture of being inside the clouds in the wilderness. In the, in the clouds, there was purity, there was cleanliness, there was righteousness, and Hashem was literally in their midst, okay? And there was no hunger, there was no thirsting, there was uh, no darkness, it was always daytime. There were no mountains to climb. There were no valleys to go through. And you're on this straight and level path with Hashem. If you remove yourself from that scenario, yes, you can go chase after your wildest dreams and ambitions and your imaginations that you will think up in your mind. But like was just so beautifully stated by Hasis, you're going to be to your own destruction. If you just look around at Hollywood, Yes, I went there. Like, you see all these beautiful young people come into the industry. They get everything that they want. Not even five years later, look at what happens. Oh, my word. So that's all I'm going to say about that because I don't want to get into that. But we kind of did, and that's all I would say. That's true. People don't understand the effects of the evils um, that Hollywood does have on people. But you're going to you know, get your dreams, though, right? You're going to be on the red carpet and have these fancy cars. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Oi. You know? And, and you say, hey, it's not that bad. Okay, well, just look at all the perversion, all the promiscuity that's in Hollywood. And if you look at the patterns of 
all, or I shouldn't say all, but the majority of people who were serial killers and just in our country, they have one thing in common and they were looking at uh, like very, very promiscuous things like just kind of said, they're looking at pornography from a young age. Wow. And that influenced their mind. It had such a detrimental effect on their mind that it allowed them to, hey, it's not enough. This isn't enough. I got to have more. I got to have more. You know, it's this seeking pleasure, seeking self-gratification, and it caused them to do very heinous things. And so you say, hey, it's, it's not so bad. It's not so bad if I don't guard my eyes from what I don't need to see. Um, well, cases have proven that it is horrible, actually, and that's a wrong mentality. You know, and so Hollywood has a very evil effect, and you can see it, especially in younger generations. You can see it in every media, every commercial. And so, I mean, since you won't, since you didn't rat, ran on it, I guess I'll take this time to just plug that in there. Because I think it. it's, per, it's an important public service announcement. It's important. Our rabbi does public service announcements, and as his children, we're going to do exactly what he does. <laughs> wow. And so, you know, here we have in 3418, you, he mentions these, these two covenants. You transgress my covenant, who did not uphold the words of the covenant they made before me. So there's these two covenants made. And then he mentions this calf that I was cut in two. Okay. And half between the pieces. And so he mentions my covenant, that's the Torah, and then the covenant they made in the Behamekdash in King Zedekiah's presence. And that was where they cut up a calf. And so these are two covenants they broke, their own and the Shims. Wow. And so this whole idea, you, you have this, this cut of the calf, it's really the covenant of pieces, it's a throwback to that, to Avraham. And so in all these half tours, you have the prophet. There's always this, this reference that takes people, hey, remember your fathers. Remember the patriarchs. Remember their righteousness. Remember their examples. And allow that to lead you. Allow that to inspire you. Remember which family you come from. Mm. And remember how, how honorable they were in the eyes of other nations as well as, as their own and their own family. <clears throat> because nations respected them and they revered them. And nations were punished because they afflicted them. And so it's this parallel, hey, look where you're at. You're being punished by the nations. Look where your fathers, forefathers were. The nations were punished because they almost assaulted their wives or, or them or their character. And so, hey, if you go, go back and fall in the footsteps of your fathers, then you will start reigning again, Israel. You will have your power back. You will have your influence back. And you will influence the world. Wow. You know, furthermore, you, just this whole idea, um, just kind of wondering the whole idea of cutting up a calf, there's a signif signif significance, I should say, that whoever does not honor this treaty should be cut apart like this calf. Come on. And so it's a very visual image. You think about, like, if, if that really doesn't catch your attention and help you hold on to your promises, and I really don't know what else will, to be honest with you. Right. Um, that, that seems, that's a statement, you know, to say the least. <laughs> Right. So, <clears throat> yeah. Well, so, well just to tag on to that real quick, um, Dr. Zakal sends insights uh, from the Haftarah each week. This was <clears throat> one that really just shocked me, this whole section we're talking about, because the way that 
Hashem initiated covenants with us was through the covenant of parts. And then we extended that into uh, chapter 24 of Shemot with the Naseh Nishma and the whole 12 pillars and all that, the blood of the covenant. But then here it says the people did the same covenant between the parts, but said that this was for us to rebel against Hashem. And so that if anyone, uh, it says literally, I'm just going to read it. It says they all made a covenant to rebel against God and they cut the cow into two and passed between its parts in order to signify their rebellion as if to say that anyone who violates this covenant would be cut apart like this cow. So taking everything that we just said about the statement of statements with this, it's just kind of like they took this and said, here, Shem, we're going to throw it back at you. And that yeah. is that is just so just wrong on so many levels. That is. Yeah, there's there's that's what I love about Torah. There's 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 all these two different perspectives. And even if they're complete opposites, they're both there to teach you a, a valuable lesson. You know, what you just mentioned, uh, Dr. Scott sent out uh, amazing insight, you know, uh, that Rashi quotes. And it's, it's kind of interesting that, you know, this is the other option in there that it was an act of rebellion. And the Midrash uh, hints at it. It says a very unique way. It says, after the Jews recaptured their servants, they rebelliously made a new covenant. I'm going to stress that. They made they rebelliously made a new covenant to Come disobey us. One more time, please. They rebelliously made a quote-unquote new covenant. A New Testament or new covenant? Uh, right, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Just and they'll sure. say that, you know, that's, that's, that's the illusion mm. of you, you, if you have a new covenant, okay, a renewed covenant, then it has to be on the basis of that it's obedience to Hashem. Ken. But if you're making a new covenant and the whole precedent is, is some, some dude came and he said, hey, you don't have to keep Dora and you just believe in how I died. And you'll be good to get in heaven. Okay, well, that makes no sense. Right. If you have any of, of Judaism or mitzvah, that makes no sense. And that's why I love love your stance on, hey, he's he's not JC. Let's stop calling him JC. Let's call him Yeshua. Amen. Because it's a whole different mind frame. <clears throat> and so I appreciate you taking a stand on that. And that was, that was inspiring for me. Amen. Bergesham, it's not about relating to people. They don't need to know who you're talking about. They'll know who you're talking about. <laughs> Especially when actually, you start living it. <laughs> exactly. They'll actually start knowing who he is. Ooh. Where they never knew him before. Wow. And freedom and energy and and just wonderful miracles and blessings in their life. Oh, hallelujah. Mm. So it gets into verse 19 20. Talking about the prince of Yehuda and Yerushalayim, the rulers of the Kohanim, the people of the land who pass between the pieces of the calf. I will give them to the hands of their enemies and those who seek their lives. Their dead bodies will be food for the birds of the sky and the animals of the field. They will not be buried. This parallels what it talks about Egypt, the punishment for Egypt, when they didn't come to Israel's rescue. Right. Or the crocodile with its body um, there for the birds and the beasts of the fields not being buried. Dragged out of the water. 
you want to be part of that family, you're going to suffer the same fate as them. How about that? That's what a shim says. Like, like, let me be uh, father discipline for a moment mm. and get your worldview in check. Mm. And it goes in talking about um, this whole idea of Babel abandoning its siege and leaving after hearing of Egypt's army. But like Yermayahu prophesied, it returned, and so it did. And so this is where it, the half tour would end logically if you're just going in order. Right. Behold, I command to this and I'll bring the Babylonians back to the city. They will fight and conquer it and burn it with fire. The cities of Yehuda I will make desolate without inhabitants. And so it mentions that Bnei Israel were punished Mida Kanega because they rounded up their servants after having set them free. So similarly, you see um, they were allowed to enjoy freedom temporarily when the army departed, but only the, to be more in despair and embittered when the siege was resumed and Jerusalem was captured, just like they did their slaves. And, wow. you know, so it's just, it's this idea, you know, that, you know, the whole, when going back to, so that no man should enslave his fellow Jew, he was your fellow, not because he's of the same nation, but he's your fellow because your own freedom depends on him. If you enslave him, you will be enslaved. If you free him, you will be free. Oh my goodness. So Israel, all, all Jewish people are guarantees for one another. And we we cannot view someone as just someone to be persecuted, someone who's who's expendable because their life and our lives are intertwined. Oh. We're in the same value wow. and we need to see that. And it goes on saying, even though B'nai Israel violated the covenant of the Torah and the one with King Sadayahu, the Almighty is reliable, he will never break his covenant. Amen. And it doesn't end there. Um, it doesn't end at that bad note, um, what we read earlier about uh, the siege of Jerusalem. It ends with going back yeah. into chapter 33. Yeah, yeah. 25 and 26. Get you some. Something that happened in the past is going to redeem our future. Uh, and all did you just say that <laughs> so so says Hashem if I will not uphold my covenant with day and night there, let me read this in a little different, different text here yeah yeah let's change it up day and night and it says thus says the Lord if not for my covenant with the day and night I will not have established the laws of heaven and earth then I would also cast away the seed of Yaakov and David, my servant, and take none of his seed to rule over the seed of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. But instead, I will cause their captives to return and have mercy on them. And there's a lot of interesting things in these two verses. Hit it. And just talk about a little bit what the Midrash says, and then I want to come back, um, come back to those interesting points. And it mentions that the Jewish people, why why can't they be forsaken? So Shem's never going to reject the Jews. So <laughs> replacement theory, um, theology, just kicked out of the window. If you read your Bible, you know that's wrong. Um, so it, why, but why? why? Why will he never? Because the Jewish people are the spiritual foundation of the universe. Oh. Without them, creation loses its purpose. So yes, there's this idea of of life and you're trying to pursue life 
But there's also the idea of adding value to life. And the Jewish people do that in that they, like they, at Sinai, we at Sinai, we accepted the Torah. And we accepted the mission to be the firstborn, not because we're above anybody else, but to accept our mission to share that light with others and share how the, how the world is actually going to be run and how, it's going to, how world peace can actually happen. <sighs> we abide by the guidebook given to us. And, you know, and then there's another interpretation that talks about, if not for my covenant, the Torah, which is study day and night, I will not uphold the laws of heaven and earth. We mentioned this last Torah portion, you know, it says people think, oh, you're, self, you're self-righteous, you're this, you're that. No, I'm saving the world. Would right. you like to join me? Yes. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what it's about. Um, but just going on this idea of a few interesting things that's half to where it mentions um, this idea in verse 26 says, then I will also cast away the seed of Yaakov, Zerah Yaakov, <laughs> and David, my servant. And it's just so interesting because you have this idea of Zerah Yaakov. And Yaakov, this is one of the one of the places in the Torah, or I should say the Tanakh, um, to be accurate, where Yaakov's name is spelled with the extra vav. <laughs> and we missed this before. This is this extra vav is taken from Eliyahu as a guarantee that Eliyahu would bring Mashiach. So whenever you see Yaakov's name spelled as vav, it's indicated this has some messianic connection. <laughs> and so it literally, let's read this part again, it says, uh, so I will also cast away the seed of Yaakov. And seed, we mentioned it in uh, last last half Torah, this idea of this holy seed is about Mashiach. <laughs> and this holy seed, it's this idea of this being cast off. This Get this, this is right after the part where it's talking about the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem. So kind of like tear down this temple, and I'll raise it again. Get you some. And just so you have a source, that seed is the name of Mashiach. This is from Ruth Rabbah. Rabbi Tankuma said the name of Rabbi Abba, preserve the lineage, literally the Zerah, the seed of our father. It does not say son, but a seed, Zerah, who is coming from a different place. And who is he? He is King Mashiach. Did you say and coming so, from a different place? Coming from a different place. This is another idea of, of Mashiach, that he would look uh, strange, who look like another, kind of like Yosef and the Egyptian uh, makeup, if you will. Wow. And so it's literally at the destruction of the temple, after the destruction of Jerusalem, it mentions the seed being cast away. And this is all with, with Yaakov having the extra vav, this extra tie to the Mashiach being cast away. <laughs> and then, if that was enough, it gets into this idea of Rule over the seed of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And what's interesting, if you look at uh, Yitzhak's name, it's not Yitzhak, it's Yitzchak. It's spelled with a, a shin instead oh, of a... Oh, man. And, you know, the Midrash says, this is this allusion to the verse, at the time of the redemption, our mouths will be filled with laughter. Telim 105.9. <laughs> and it's just... it it. It's so beautiful because uh, the Ballot Torum has this comment on Isaac's name spelled with a shin instead of a sabi. And it, it, I'm just going to uh, kind of 
synopsis it, just a quick summary. Hashem goes to the forefathers and he says, which one of you will sacrifice his name, like a piece of his name, a letter in his name, in order to redeem my children from exile in Egypt? And Abraham says, I can't do it. And Yaakov, he says, I can't do it. But Yitzhak has this interesting reply. He says, truthfully, I've already sacrificed my name because my name should be spelled with a shin, not a sadi. As it says, and he quotes the Telim, and Telim too, I believe, where it's spelled, Isaac is spelled with a, a shin instead of a sadi. Wow. And what's interesting, if you take the difference between those, uh, shin, the Gamachi 300, sadi is 90, the difference is 210, which is, which is like the year of the Egyptian exile. That's right. And it's also allusion to light, because light's gematria is 207. You add the letters to it, it's 210. And so it's allusion to this hidden light that was there to redeem us, redeem us from our exile. Wow. And so literally, this is literally what this, this half tour ends with. It ends with this destruction of the temple, and then this it goes back. It goes back in the chapters of Yahu to say how this redemption is going to take place. Literally, the, the seed, the Mashiach, is going to be cast off. He's going to be cast away in exile. Um, he's literally going to sacrifice his name, his his title, as this ruling Mashiach that he's supposed to be, in order to bring us out from our exile, in order to be our atonement. And so there's just this beautiful pattern that's weaved in here. Um, just shows you the Ruach Kodesh that uh, Chazal had when piecing together these half Torahs. Wow. And just even in their structure, there's something just completely, completely beautiful in it. And you see the, the word for return is I will return. So wow. literally the, uh, it's uh, Ashiv. And so, ki ashiv et shevutam. And so it says, and for I will return their captivity. Man. So, like, the return of Mashiach is the gathering in from our captivity. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. It's so many, so many beautiful things in this half tour. You know. Well, believe it or not, we beat our time by a minute and thirty seconds. All right. Because we were going to go into practical takeaways at that time. So I guess if you are Besader, then uh, we can go ahead and start that now. I love to. You know, I was even thinking this this would be a even shorter than that, just because it's it's such a short half tour, but. We, we got into a lot of wonderful dialogue, which I'm grateful for. Yeah. Me too. Praise Hashem. Amen. All right. So, takeaways, would you like to start us off? Or well, um, I definitely would just told that for that. I will take that opportunity to start. Uh, I want to say to the do not switch family tangent. I love that. Man... You know, I didn't realize how how big of a profound statement that is. 
you know, it, on the surface, I'm just like, yeah, it's like we wanted to switch families. And it's like, well, do you really realize what that means? Because we're painted into this really narrow path that, well, I wasn't born Jewish, but now I, I'm supposed to be Jewish. And but I thought I was supposed to be Christian because if I profess faith in the Messiah, which the Christians did get it right, the character that they're calling J.C., that is truly the Jewish Messiah. So it's just like, wow, great job. And thank you for teaching about him. But, you know, there's way more than church on Sunday and, you know, having a Roman uh, root. It's like, no, we have a Jewish root and we go to Shabbat. We don't even go to church. Matter of fact, we go to synagogue and we study Torah. And it's just like, oh, you know, so I know it's culture shock, but what I'm trying to say is you see that there's this this like, you know, pigeonhole, so to speak, where it's just like, well, if I profess faith in him, then I'm going to have to call myself this Christian or I'm going to have to say that I'm like a believer and like I don't see anybody who is really like a believer and they don't call him JC. They call him Yeshua. And like, what's that really supposed to look like? And it's just like, well, there happens to be Lapid. There happens to be Sar Shalom. There happens to be pockets of this that is starting to really uh, revive, be resurrected because it's almost the third day like, i.e. 3,000 years, we're headed close to the 3,000 years, but we just passed 2,000 not too long ago, so we're not quite to the third day yet, which means the resurrection is happening in less than three days, just like Jewish sources talk about, sign of Jonah, but anyway, that's being revived, and so when people have the realization by the Spirit of Hashem, eyes are opening, hearts drawn to Yeshua, it's like, yes, we are observant Jews. We walk in covenant with Hashem. We convert. We undergo the mikvah and circumcision. And we walk in the newness of life, like literally passing over from death into life. And so that's the family we're supposed to be a part of. It's not as stark of a choice, <laughs> pun intended, because I'm showing man. But it's not as stark of a choice as being like Christian on one side and non-believing Jewishness on the other side. It is literally, we we are born again and we walk in the ways of Torah. And we're supposed to be Lapidim. So that's our family. Don't act like the nations. Don't think you can be free any other way. It, it, it's like, this isn't forced up on you. You should be drawn to this because this is a life change. This isn't just a fad. This isn't a progression in Christian walk. Okay. So anyway, that's all I have to say. Love it. Till duh. Love that concept. Don't, don't switch families. That's a, that's a powerful, powerful, same powerful idea that, you know, definitely gonna you know carry people through you know i mean i guess that just just a, a couple points over here is uh tour did it first and tour did it best Ooh, oh. <laughs> that's that's what i'm uh by the way sorry to interrupt you because you didn't interrupt me and i really appreciate it but i just want to say <laughs> i'm gonna title the podcast that like in the little description awesome sleek <laughs> No, it's good. Uh, I get a, I get a, a preview, so it's awesome. Oh man. Um. So, 
you know, we have this whole idea of the concept of, of slavery versus the world and slavery and Torah and what, what its whole intention was, what its whole purpose was. It was really to elevate people, redeem them, and bring them up from their, their dire situations. Um, you have all these different con- concepts. You had the, the code of slavery that we mentioned that was in the Near East, and the code of slavery the Torah gives us. Uh, it's meant to redeem brothers. Um, there's also the, you know, even even common times we have this thing about support groups, but it's really not a new concept. Um, because you have this, this idea in Sefer Chanuk that talks about the, the law of redeeming slaves is the Torah requires that you should sound the shofar throughout your land and all frees, all slaves are going to go free on Yom Kippur and this is going to be done across all of Eretz Israel to publicize that everyone's doing this. And there's an idea that's brought down by experience and also in Devrim Rabbah 2.22 that the suffering of many is a consolation. And so it's just this idea that a lot of times we, we get in a rut as individuals and we feel like we're going alone. We're, we're dealing with something all by ourselves. This is the only our issue. And literally there's other people, thousands of people, hundreds, millions of people who are going through that same problem or a similar problem. And we can take comfort in the fact that there's other people who are suffering and that we're not alone in this. It's not a battle we have to fight by ourselves. You know, we, we have a community, we have fellowship. And this is this is one of the ideas of making this a public release. You know, because a lot of times you kind of think about it, these weren't these weren't people who are just persecuted and discriminated against and beaten and brutalized like the slaves of the nations. You know, a lot of times people may have had difficulty letting them go because they were really like their brother. They cared for them, they trained them, and they literally helped them in their house. You know, you could have had someone who was like a very old elderly person. They became elderly. And now this person who was literally, it's like going in five, six years that they're serving them. And they're literally brothers. They're not mistreating each other. He's just providing them a place to lay, live, um, eat. And meanwhile, he's taking care of him. He's too old to really take care of himself and tired. And he needs this person. And so here comes the seventh year when he's required to release him. You could kind of almost sympathize with him because it's no longer this this master brutalizing his his slave. It's like these two brothers, and he's required to let him go. You know, and this is the Yovel year, so they have to go. They have to leave each other. You know, it's not really an option. And so just kind of give us a little perspective of even though something might be difficult for us to do, and it might make our future look bleak. We still need to do that because the Shem has commanded it. And there's a bigger picture in place. And I'll see the last thing is something that, that Ramkal writes in Mishlat Yesharim is that we're to reflect on our day, reflect on our actions, and really take an accounting, not just what we've done, not just uh, mitzvahs we've done, maybe transgressions, falling sins, what have you, but really take into consideration our very worldview of how we view ourselves, how we view uh, the world around us, how we view people. Because um, we mentioned a lot of this this half tour, this idea of looking as people as um, as someone with with no value, someone who's just meant to be something, someone you can gain from, someone you can use. And this idea is completely false. It's against the Torah. 
you know, there's not a single individual on this earth who's uh, like someone who's just in covenant with Hashem, who's following Hashem. There's no one there who is expendable. And we can't go through with that mentality because when we go through that mentality, we're, we end up damaging people and we end up hurting people and we end up hurting ourselves. And so just that we should see the value in people and we should not see people as someone we could that we could take and use for whatever means, but people who we can give to and people who we can bless and people who we could share the light that's been given to us so that this world might shine a little brighter. You know, Lukamara mentions that for the sake of, of man, the, the man, like the world was created for the sake of, of man. You know, this whole idea, you look at the parables of Yeshua, there's this lost sheep out there. And he says, hey, you leave the flock to get that one. Why? Because not a, not a single one of you, not a single one of my flock is expendable. And so just the idea that we should see people, uh, no matter what they've gone through, no matter what choices they made, we should see them as members of the family or, or potential members of the family. To kind of, kind of, uh, you know, um, quote, quote from your idea. Wow. <laughs> I'm just like praying to Hashem right now to just really like engrave these insights into my heart. Oh, just, I feel just so thankful for this. This is incredible information and studying and just, wow. All right. Well, uh, as much as I don't want to do it, <laughs> that is uh, you know, so much, so much more in depth. You know, I feel like okay, we're gonna talk about this, this, and this, and then we're gonna be talking about ten times more than I <laughs> thought we would have mentioned. Uh, don't you just sure. love that Hashem? That's a gift that He grants us. That's so true. You know. And while it's on my heart to say it, uh, this is an encouragement to everyone listening that we are to be teachers, especially if we're followers of Yeshua, because he said, go out and teach the nations. But as you just hear from Hasis and I, that when you start teaching, you're thinking, well, I don't know if I have much and I'm thinking it's going to look like this. But when you start, Hashem just comes in and just drop kicks like the rain like you just have no idea so i i want to encourage everyone out there to, that if you're truly attaching yourself to the vine really have a rabbi that you're under you know and you're studying and you're davening you're you're uh, refining yourself and, and going through musar not just some lone wolf i want all the glory type person but like all the other stuff i previously mentioned i encourage you to really step up and take that platform and teach, you know, it doesn't have to be a podcast. It doesn't have to be like, I'm going to give a drosh on Shabbat, but Hey, if you're a dancer teaching your dance class, take a moment while you're stretching or something. Or if you're a painter, just take a little moment with your, your artistry and, and just put a little recording together, you know, to share with your, your art, you know, so it can work in many different ways, but I just want to Put that encouragement out there because as we get closer to the return of Messiah, literally the whole world is going to be transformed. And like there are going to be so many Levites that it's ridiculous. 
like everybody and their grand sister almost is going to be just like droshing with like drop kicks and you want to throw stuff and you're gonna be like i didn't even know you knew anything about hebrew i'm just like well yeah i do now you know i've been resurrected to new life so we want to move towards that now more teachers more people of torah who are just really flowing out those rivers of living water that yeshua talked about so may it be so and brigashem hasis before we leave do you have anything you want to say before we index our time no i mean we're we're good we did our, our our practical takeaways and you know had a really good dialogue with you on this half torah so it's been a blessing amen well may hashem bless you for sharing your insights with us and what do we know what do we know baruch ata adonai eloheinu melech haolam zur ko haolamim Zadik beko hadorot, hael haneeman haomer veose hamdaber, um kayem shekol devarav emet vazedek. Neeman atahu adonai eloheinu vene emanim, devareka vedavar echad, midvareka achor lo yashuv recham, ki el melek neeman verakaman ata. Baruch Ata Adonai Ha'el Haneeman Bekol Devarav Biskut Mashiach Yeshua. Amen. Well, Baruch Abab Bishem Adonai May Mashiach return speedily and soon in our days. And signing out for the Haftarah of Mishpatim, this is Shomer Menech Hasis Baz. Shalom and Shavuot Tov. Shalom.